Thank you very much. He forgot to tell you I'm also a sinner saved by grace. And that's the most important thing to be. Um, I think what I'd like to do this morning is to say something about the importance of Christian education. Uh, especially in the home, but also in the school, such as this. And so let us open God's word together at Second Timothy in the New Testament. If you have a Bible here, please open it at Second Timothy and chapter 1. Second Timothy and chapter 1. Let us pray. Lord, this is your holy, infallible word. Every letter, every part of every letter, of every word. O oh God, may we remember that and hear your voice as you now speak to us. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Second Timothy chapter 1 and verse 3, where the old preacher, uh, Paul, writes the following to the young preacher, Timothy. I thank God, whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience, that without ceasing... I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being reminded about your tears, so that I may be filled with joy. When I remember the unfeigned faith that really means the non-hypocritical faith, the sincere faith, which is in you, which did dwell first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded in you too. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God. And now if we'll just turn the page to chapter 3, beginning at verse 14. But continue in the things which you have learned and have been assured about knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from a child you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. That means God breathed into all of the Scriptures and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, 
for instruction in righteousness so that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly equipped to all good works. Now, we could talk a long time about those verses, but let me just say some things about those verses which I believe will be helpful to all of you here in school, and especially, I trust, at home. First of all, notice what the older minister, the Apostle Paul, says about himself in chapter 1 and verse 3. He writes to this younger minister, Timothy, I do thank God, who I keep on serving from my forefathers with a pure conscience. That's an amazing statement, particularly when you remember that Paul was not a Christian until, as a learned preacher, he was converted to Jesus Christ as his Savior when on the road to Damascus, where he was going to round up and uh, get thrown into jail Christians whom he didn't like. And yet, the same man, Paul, here says, I thank God, whom I serve from my forefathers with a pure conscience. This can only mean that Paul, though not a Christian until he became an adult, nevertheless considers that he has been serving the true God from his forefathers onward. In other words, Paul, from as far back as he can remember when he was a small boy, and Paul's father, as far back as he could remember as a small boy, and Paul's father no doubt telling Paul, as Paul was growing up, how Paul's own father had grown up, and Paul's grandfather had all been trained from the Bible as the number one textbook in everything which they learned. Of course, it is possible to want to serve God sincerely and to try to live by the Bible and still not yet to be a Christian. I think that's what we've got to see from this text. Paul was a man that loved the Bible all of his life, it seems, uh, even from the time he was very tiny, even before he became a Christian. And not only that, but Paul not only attempted to live his life from the Bible in the way in which his parents, and no doubt day school teachers too, had tried to show him, but as Paul was growing up, he was very sincere about this. You know, some people, some children, if they're at church or in a Christian school or in family worship each day at home, they're very fidgety. Yeah, they take all this Bible stuff, but they're not happy with it. And they are saying to themselves, when, I, when I'm grown up, I'll shake all of this off and won't have any more time for it. See some of you smiling. I don't know what that smile means. <laughs> but Paul was not like that. Paul very sincerely wanted to serve God from the time that he was tiny. 
I serve God from my forefathers with a pure conscience, he says. And then he goes on to say that now that he is a Christian and a minister and indeed an older and an experienced minister, he says, Timothy, I keep on remembering you, end of verse 3, in my prayers night and day. That's a very interesting statement. I keep on remembering you, Timothy, as a young minister, in my prayers night and day. What does that tell you about Paul? That every day, both in the daytime and at nighttime, probably early in the morning and also late at night, this man, Paul, prayed to God. He practiced daily personal worship, and if he ever did live in a family, we can be quite sure he also practiced daily family worship. Many believe that Paul was a bachelor and never married. That's possible, but it does seem to me that Paul was a widower, that he had been married, his wife had died, and now, of course, he was single again. But wherever he was, whether alone or with other people, perhaps his relatives, this man Paul prayed to God every morning, every evening, and what's more, he assures this young minister Timothy that when Paul prays, twice a day at least, he is praying also for Timothy. What do you think that should mean for us? Certainly those of us who are ministers, like Paul, should be praying every morning and every evening with our families in our homes, and indeed all of us who are Christians but not preachers should also be praying and talking to God and listening to God through his word every day, and to do so sincerely, as Paul here says that he has done. And then he says something very precious in the next verse, verse 4. He says, Timothy, I greatly desire to see you I have a great desire to see you. Now, Dr. Barnson here, I last saw him about, uh, must be 12 years ago. Is that right? He came to my church in Mississippi. I uh, was living in America at the time. And uh, he preached a sermon. I can still remember what he preached about. He's probably forgotten. He preached on 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And then he came over to our place. And we asked him whether he liked ham, I think it was. Uh, because some people like uh, Dr. Barnson don't like ham, and he was very happy, and he gobbled up all the ham. I remember that. I remember that very well. And that's a precious memory I have, and I was delighted to see him again this morning. Now, Paul felt that way about Timothy. He says here in verse 4, I greatly desired to see you. I keep on greatly desiring to see you, Timothy. And I remember your tears. We're not told why Timothy had been crying, but this must mean that something had happened in Timothy's life that was a matter of great sorrow and very painful, uh, so that Timothy was shedding tears. And Paul saw that, and Paul remembered it every morning, and every evening, when Paul prayed for Timothy, um, and for other people too, that God would sustain Timothy 
through this tearful time uh, that Timothy was going through. Of course, it probably also meant that when they saw one another, they were so delighted uh, that they shed a few tears of joy. But I think probably there was also pain in Timothy's life. We are told that he got very, very sick and chronically sick for a long time so that Paul gives him advice about a better kind of medicine to use than he had been using up till that time. And then he says, I greatly desire to see you being reminded of your tears so that I may be filled with joy. Now then, Paul was, of course, a very happy Christian, but even happy Christians need to experience times of even greater happiness and even greater joy. And he says, Timothy, I want you to know that when I do get to see you again, it is going to fill me anew with great joy. And whenever we see people that we haven't seen for a long time, like I today for the first time in 12 years saw Dr. Bonson, I can tell you it filled me with joy. And then he goes on to say that there's another reason why he is full of joy, this Paul. He says in verse 5, When I remember the unfeigned faith, the non-hypocritical trust which is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that it dwells in you too. What's Paul saying here? He's saying, Timothy, I know that you believe and believe aright in the God in whom I believe because I know that your mother and your grandmother have that required faith and trust in God. And I know that they have raised you. They have given you a Christian education at home and probably, no doubt, also sent him to a Christian day school such as this. And because I know all of that, I am fully persuaded, I am very, very confident that the faith that I do know was in your mother and your grandmother is in you too. And then he says something very important. Now I really want you to listen. He says in verse 6, Therefore, I remind you to stir up, to keep on stirring up the gift of God. You see, if we are born and raised in a Christian home, like Timothy was, we have a very precious gift which other children that are not so fortunate to be born in those homes do not have. It is a great privilege to be a Christian child of Christian parents and perhaps even Christian grandparents. A very great privilege. And we should be persuaded uh, that if children grow up in such a home which entrusts the child to a Christian day school such as this, that we can confidently expect, if everybody plays their part, that the child will grow up 
to be a strong Christian man and woman. But notice what Paul says. He says, Therefore, I remind you that you stir up the gift which is in you. Stir up. Now, how many of you here drink tea or coffee with sugar in it? I don't, but I guess most of you put sugar in the tea or the coffee. Is that right? There's this funny thing about putting a spoonful of sugar in a cup of tea or coffee. You know what I found? Unless you stir it up, it doesn't taste sweet. Now, you young people may well be Christians, most of you. But you know what you need to do? You've got to stir up the gift of God which is already in you. And notice what it says. It does not say, pray to God that he will stir you up. It does not mean, say to God, I'm so stupid, I'm so weak, nothing I can do can I possibly stir up the gift that is in me, but you stir me up, O Lord, and I'll wait and do nothing until you might be pleased, perhaps, to stir me up. It doesn't say that. Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, you are to keep on stirring up inside yourself the gift of God which he has already given to you. Now, what should that mean to you? God has given you probably... Christian parents, or at least parents that go to church. Praise God for at least that. God has given you the privilege of a Christian education in a Christian school. Do you know what you've got to do? You have got to stir yourself up and stir up all this education you're getting so that you can serve God properly. Let me just stop. Can I take off my jacket? I'm feeling very uncomfortable. Thank you. <clears throat> Okay, now let's really go. <clears throat> Keep on stirring up the gift of God which is inside of you. And I plead with every one of you young people not to let go of God, but to stir up the thing inside you which God has put there. Now let's turn the page to Second Timothy and chapter 3 starting at verse 14. There Paul says this, But keep on continuing in the things which you have learned and have been assured about, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from a child you have known the Holy Scriptures. You see, it's not enough to get a little Christianity like an injection, and then you're all right. That's not enough. You've got to keep on keeping on. And so Paul says to young Timothy here, you are to keep on continuing in the things which you have learned. Timothy had learned things. Praise God for that. But he was not to say, well, I've learned things and now everything's fine. He was to keep on continuing and to keep on practicing the things that he had learned. Indeed, he was to keep on learning new things. He was to keep on keeping on. So should you, so should I. Keep on continuing in the things which you have learned and have been assured about. 
It is the duty of a Christian teacher in a day school like this. It is the duty of a Christian parent at home every day to keep on assuring the child, the pupil, the student that these things are worth keeping on and continuing about and following the Lord all the way. He then adds, knowing from whom you have learned these things. Well, from whom exactly had Timothy learned these things? To some extent from Paul, whom he had met, but I put it to you, he had learned these things which Paul is saying he is to continue in, especially from Timothy's mother and grandmother. Because he goes on and says in the next verse, and that from a child you have known the Holy Scriptures. I want to say something about that. From childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures. If you look very carefully at this in the Greek, you'll see it actually says, from the time you were a fetus. Now, before we were born, we were fetuses. A fetus is a human being between the time they are conceived in the womb of their mother and the time that they are born nine months later. Now, this is a most amazing statement. Paul here tells Timothy that from the time that Timothy was a fetus, that is, before his birth, and, of course, also when he was a baby, and when he was a child growing up, he had known, had gotten to know, the Holy Scriptures. Now, some of you may say, but how can a baby understand the Holy Scriptures? Even more, how can a fetus, an unborn baby, possibly understand the Holy Scriptures? Oh, my dear young people, do not ask yourself how this is possible. Rather, ask yourself what the Bible is saying at this point. But could I tell you this? I have now been married for 26 years, and it'll be three months before I see my wife and family again. I saw them about 10, 11 days ago in Australia. But you know, ever since I got married, in fact, for several months on and off before I was married but every day of my life since I got married the last 26 years I have been reading the Bible with my wife and later with my wife and children every morning and every evening without fail never missed a day now I've never done it but some of you who are better at mathematics than I am can multiply 26 years by 365 days and multiply that by two, and then I will know for the first time, thanks to your mathematical ability, how many times, approximately, I have read the Bible with my wife since I married her. If any of you figure it out, let me know after the lecture, and I won't need to figure it out myself. But I've been married for um, some time, and one day my wife said to me, you know something? I think I'm expecting a baby. And I said, well, that is wonderful news. Tell you what, let us spend more time in studying the Bible in the morning and the evening because the Bible says here in this text, Paul writes to Timothy, from fetushood you have known the Holy Scriptures. Now you may say, how can an unborn baby possibly know the Holy Scriptures? 
Well, like Billy Graham once said, he doesn't know how a, a black cow can eat green grass and give white milk, but it is so. And I want to tell you that that's what we did. We increased the amount of time we spent at home reading the scriptures when my wife said she was expecting a baby. And I believe with all of my heart that God took the holy scriptures that I was explaining and teaching to my wife, that it went in through her ears, and somehow God saw to it that the holy scriptures was passed on to my children before they were born. And if you ask my two children today, who are 22 and 19 years old, respectively, when they first believed in Jesus, they would say they have no idea, as far back as they can remember, they have always trusted in Jesus as their Savior. But I want to tell you something else. After they were born, and when, of course, they joined the family worship every morning and every evening, there's hardly a day that passed when, after explaining the Scriptures, I did not say to my children, Stir up the gift of God which is inside of you. And I have warned my children and my wife and myself that we who do belong to Jesus are to keep working at it, to keep stirring up the Spirit of God that's inside ourselves, so that each day we can become stronger and more committed Christians than the day before. I see our time is marching on, so I must march on too. Verse 15, from the time you were a fetus, you have known the Holy Scriptures. How could he know the Holy Scriptures when he was a fetus unless his parents were reading the Holy Scriptures and in some wonderful way this was being passed on to him before he was born and after he was born as he grew up every day at home. Dear young people, some of you here are from homes like that where the Bible is read by father and mother every day. Thank God for it, if that's the kind of home you have. Some of you here are from homes that may perhaps be Christian, but you're not reading the Bible every morning and every evening. Oh, may I urge you, may I urge you, if the home you come from is not yet a home where the Bible is being read, Every morning and every evening, may I urge you today to go tell your mom and dad tonight about this message that you are hearing today and plead with them for Jesus' sake to start doing things the Bible way all the way. And I promise you, if you will do that, God is going to bless you all so much. I'll tell you a secret. If you were to bring out a big gun now and point it at me and say, Dr. Lee, you can have your choice. You can either keep on your daily family worship every day at home, but quit going to church on Sunday, or you can continue to go to church every Sunday, but you've got to stop daily family worship. Take your choice, which will it be? Without batting an eyelid, without a moment's hesitation, I'd say, take the church away. It doesn't mean that much to me. But let me have my Bible and my family every day of my life twice a day. See, because you only go to church once or twice a week. But 
You have daily family worship with your family 14 times a week, every morning, every evening. So it's doing you at least seven, and maybe 14 times as much good if you only go to church once on a Sunday. Now, I did not say quit going to church. You didn't hear me say that, did you? You heard me say that daily family worship and a time of daily chapel in a Christian school like this is doing you a lot more good than what you're learning once a week in a church. That's what I said. Do them all as long as you can, not just one or two of them, but particularly daily worship. Paul goes on to say, From a child you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to keep on giving you wisdom unto salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. How are we to learn from God how we are to get full health, which is the meaning of salvation, a healthy body and a healthy soul particularly, how are we to get that, how are we to know how to get that, how are we to know how to receive that more and more, unless we keep on studying and heeding the Holy Scriptures. There is no other way. Paul then says, all Scripture has been breathed into by God. Oh, that's a precious statement. God the Holy Spirit, or God rather, breathed His Spirit into the pages of Holy Scripture so that when at home, each day with your family, or at school in the chapel, you open the pages of Scripture, the breath of God, the Holy Spirit which is here, like a fragrant aroma of a beautiful flower comes out of the pages of Scripture and you inhale it and you say to yourself, this smells good. This is a breath of fresh air. This is the Spirit of God. And unlike Coke, this really freshivates. It really freshivates. And it's something that you need at least twice a day at home and in school. I'm nearly through. All of Scripture, every syllable and every line, from Genesis 1 verse 1 to the last verse of Revelation, every word of it, every letter in every word of it, every crossbar of every T, every dot on every I, every jot and every tittle has been breathed into this book by the Holy Spirit. And when you believe that and read the Bible that way, it smells real good every time that you read it, and it's a blessing to you. All Scripture has been breathed into by God. It is profitable for doctrine, that means for teaching, for reproof, that means men of God and women of God, so that as you grow up as adults, you may be perfect, that means fully shaped, thoroughly equipped for every good work. God has good works for each one of you to do. God has a special work, a career, for every one of you to do, which each one of you alone can do. But you need to be equipped and to be thoroughly equipped to do lifelong the thing that God is now preparing you to do and the way where you get your equipment is from daily study of this blessed book. All right?
may God then work in our hearts more and more and in mine to make us more and more full of the Spirit of God stirring up the Spirit that is in us who is the same Spirit that wrote this book and we stir up the Spirit inside of us when we stir ourselves up by reading this book which is full of that same Holy Spirit. God bless you and thank you for the privilege of being able to share these wonderful things of God with yourself and with myself once more. Amen. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.